We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dryas Octopatalo. Good grief, Pastor. A Latin title for the sermon. I apologize, but it closely resembles our children's message and their little eight-pointed flowers. It reminds us of the eighth day of creation, the eight petals of this flower. And you might have guessed, Octopatala, eight petals. The common name for this flower is the mountain avian, or the white dryas. It's the national flower of Iceland and the territorial flower of the Northwest Territories of Canada. Wiki tells us that it is an Arctic alpine flowering plant in the rose family. It's a small, prostrate, evergreen sub-shrub forming large colonies. The specific epitaph, octopatala, referring to the eight petals of the flower, an unusual number in the rose family. An eight-petaled flower amongst a large colony of eight-petaled flowers. What a great way to describe the final octet from Psalm 119. You may know that Psalm 119 is made up of 22 of these little flowers. Each, the petal of each, begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The petals of verses 169 to 176 all begin with the letter Tau. The first two petals sound remarkably parallel, but I would suggest that they are not redundant and that we must give careful attention to the psalmist's word choice. Let my cry come before you, O Yahweh. Let my rana approach you. Rana is a ringing cry, most often a ringing cry of joy. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy, with rana. Rana is also a ringing cry of lament, a wail of anguish. Psalm 106, nevertheless, he, that is Yahweh, looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, their rana. The latter is the case in verse 169. Let my lament, my wail approach you, O Lord. Why? According to your word, give me discernment. The word translated word in verse 169 and the word in verse 170 are not the same word. This one, debar, means word or matter or thing. I would suggest that the psalmist is talking about things, his circumstances, the circumstances into which God has sent him your word. Give me understanding, he prays. Give me discernment in the situation that has caused me to wail, to cry out with loud lamentations. We can empathize with that. We can enter into this psalm as we confront the external difficulties of our lives and as we confess the internal guilt and shame we feel in our sin. Let my plea come before you. The second pedal parallels the first, but I would suggest that it's not synonymous, rather progressive. The psalmist builds on the understanding given concerning his situation. Lament matures into a plea, an intercession that recognizes the utter lack of merit or standing on his part. Despairing of his own, despairing of our own ability, he asks that God would deliver him poetically, to snatch him from the jaws of death. The word deliver here is almost a technical term in shepherd lore. 
It's what David does to the lamb caught in a young lion's jaw. He snatches them out. Why? Well, according to your words, plural this time, it's instructive to recognize that 12 other times in Psalm 119, when the psalmist writes Imrath, our ESV translates the word promise. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Or 116, uphold me according to your promises that I may live. The psalmist asks, almost demands, it's an imperative, deliverance from his situation based on Yahweh's promises. You and I, for us, the promises of God came to us in font. You are mine. God promised by water and word. So the first two petals paint a picture of lament giving way to the promise of circumstances that only God can address to the shepherd's rescue. But of the next six petals, there is one that is more equal among equals, one that carries that shepherding idea forward, connecting our psalm to both our Old Testament and our New Testament readings. Verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. As we hear this verse, what catches our attention is the remarkable resemblance to our gospel reading and the parable that Jesus tells. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one sheep? It's almost as if the psalmist is giving us the other side of the story, right? Yeah, hey, I'm that one that wandered off. But what really triggers our imagination is the connection to the Old Testament reading from Ezekiel. Who does the psalmist ask to come looking? Yahweh. The same Yahweh who declares in Ezekiel 34, For thus says the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. The creator of heaven and earth comes looking for one lost sheep. Yet there's one more thing that we need to notice here. This is no ordinary sheep. Our translation uses the word sheep a little over 200 times in the Old Testament. Less than a tenth of those occurrences are this sheep. This sheep from the petal, final petal of Psalm 119. It is more often translated as lamb, though there's nothing in the word that gives any indication in and of itself as to the age of the animal. It is the lamb of Genesis 22. As Isaac walks beside his father Abraham and asks, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb, our word, for a burnt offering? And Abraham assures him that God will provide, but only at the last minute as he lifted up his hand to slay Isaac. Isaac is a prophetic type of Christ. God's only begotten son would die in Isaac's place, and in the place of his father, he would die in your place and mine. A half a millennia later, we hear the same word. Again, but this time in the land of Goshen, as the Israelites obey the word of the Lord through Moses. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, our word, according to his father's house a lamb for a household. And on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, all the sheep are killed. 
and their blood marked the doors and the lintels of all the house of Israel. And then as Israel ate the roasted flesh of that lamb, at midnight Yahweh struck down the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who was in his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of the livestock. Again, God's chosen one lives, and the sheep dies in his place. The link to Jesus and his vicarious death for our sin should be apparent, but so that there can be no doubt, the prophet Isaiah picks up our word again in chapter 53. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep, our word, that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The suffering servant, Jesus of Nazareth, our Redeemer, is that sheep. The psalmist laments, I have wandered as a sheep, one who is lost. Seek your servant. Yahweh sought his servant by sending his son. The son became that lost sheep. He took on our lostness, our sin, and he died in our place. As Isaac witnessed, and the children of Israel experienced, and as Isaiah foretold, in his death and with his resurrection, you are found. Found in Christ. So now what? Well, there are another pair of petals from this flower that speak of our response. Let your lips pour out praise, for you taught me your statutes. Let your tongue sing, let my tongue sing your utterances, for all your commands are just. Lips that pour out praise. I'm reminded of the twins, Tom, Tom and Ben, and their excitement of telling you something. More often than not, each wants to tell you something that his brother is not talking about, and so their words tumble and stumble over each other as they compete for your attention. Such is the level of enthusiasm the psalmist seems to express, that he invites us to express, certainly over our salvation, but even more, for you taught me your statutes. Pouring out praise for statutes catches us a little off guard until we dig a little deeper. This word, statutes, comes from the verb to engrave, and it reflects the ancient practice of carving rules and ordinances into stone. Job speaks this way in the run-up to that great resurrection verse. Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed, our word, into a book. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he will at the last stand upon the earth. What the psalmist has discovered, what he wants us to experience as well, are the engraved, the immovable ordinances of Yahweh. These include perpetual rules and ordinances, but they also include God's love for his children. Isaiah chapter 49. Behold, I, again it's Yahweh, have engraved our root word. I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Can you see the nail marks? The second pair of the petal is equally enthusiastic. Let my tongue sing your utterances, for all your commands are just. I'm following Alter's translation here, but the word behind utterances is the second word for word that we talked about with that opening pair. This is the word we chose to translate as promises earlier, and we could well insert it here. Let my tongue sing your promises, for all your commands are just. 
Why the singing? Because your commands are just. This is covenantal language, the language of Sinai. The Hebrews were supposed to make tassels or fringes for their garments, right? To remind them of the commandment of the covenant of Yahweh. And while the psalmist could sing about these, but for New Testament Israel, for you and I, there's an even greater joy in the new covenant and the new commandments that accompany it. Luke chapter 22, in the upper room. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so we shall, at his invitation, come again to the rail this morning. In contrition, yes, but in thanksgiving and song as well, absolutely. The sixth petal, again reading with altar, may your hand become my help, for your decrees I have chosen. This petal speaks of our sanctification, our life on this side of the font, and certainly the hand of God is a comforting image when it comes open for help and not in judgment. And the psalmist points to our help as God's decrees, God's precepts in the translation in your bulletin. Let me suggest God's prescriptions for living as the redeemed children of God. Briefly, we could summarize them as, as three concentric circles. First, the family. Husbands and wives read God's prescription, which begins with love and honor. Take time to read and reflect on Paul's words in the last half of Ephesians 5 this week. Take them to heart and live them out, extending these prescriptions to your children to love them as God has blessed you. The second circle, outside of the first, encompasses the congregation. Here, the unity we share in Christ stand, takes on a tangible, visible form as we kneel shoulder to shoulder to receive his body and blood for the comfort of troubled consciences and the assurance of faith. That unity dare not be split by false doctrine, as Paul warns Timothy in his first letter. Rather, as he encourages Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And the outermost circle includes the community outside the congregation, to whom we owe compassionate care and a prayerful witness of the hope that lives within us. They go hand in hand. The Spirit's wisdom in prayer helping us to discern in which order to meet the particular situation. The seventh petal points us to the future in joyful expectation of Christ's return. I long for your salvation, O Yahweh, and your Torah is my delight. If you've been following along in your portals of prayer, you heard this week Paul's wonderful reflection on the joys ahead as he wrote to the church at Philippi. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. We reflect with joy on our sister Lucy, whom we laid to rest yesterday, who now enjoys that gain in person. Finally, in summary, the last petal. Let my soul live, and let it praise you, for your judgments will help me. There is a confident ring to this pedal. Jesus, our good shepherd, laid down his life for our salvation. Our soul will live forever because of that, and our praise will join the numberless throng at the heavenly throne. But for today, we look to his judgments to guide our steps along the way, lest we wander. Amen.